There is nothing better for a person than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in their toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For I have learned to be content in whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you with open hearts and open minds. And we pray now that as we read words that for many of us this morning we have read hundreds of times, that you would use these words to give us new eyes, that you would use these words to continue to shape and transform how we see and how we think, and that through this process your Holy Spirit would imprint these words on our hearts so that they would become a part of who we are, how we live, and how we see the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, I shared with you in the preface or an introduction to my sermon that if there was one sermon that I was going to preach that was the most important sermon, it would be that one. Well, this morning... If there was one sermon that I had to preach, the most important sermon I could think of, it would be this one. It's one of those things where the Holy Spirit works on a preacher, and, um, you know, for preachers, one of the things that we do, I think, at least I can only speak for myself, is um, even though we have the normal, ordinary kind of life as everyone else does, right? We get up, we work, we pay bills, we have dinner with our friends and our families, and we kind of have the same thing. As everyone else, the difference for preachers is because we know we're preaching on the weekend, um, we look for, for uh, illustrations and examples everywhere we go. And so we're, we're constantly trying to see the world in the way that God would want to see the world. And we don't always succeed, and oftentimes we fail. And, and even though we know God is wanting us to do certain things, sometimes we fail. So, so I understand that. But as a preacher, I try to see the world in the way that God would want to see the world. And it's about trying to live and channel that love, that mercy, and that grace. And so every Saturday I get up here, it's the sermon that I think I would preach if it was my last sermon, um, because it's that powerful. And I will never get up here and preach a sermon just on information, just like, oh, this is one great, you know, uh, a good outline or a good theology, but rather it's stuff that God is working on in me and through me, um, And God allows me to be a part of delivering this message to you. So this sermon is titled, Learning to Die Well. Kinda. We often hear preachers, right? And we we go, we read books, we read blog posts, we read articles. And it's often the tagline, and churches will even have it as their vision statement. This is a church that is learning to live well. But the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves and if we look at reality... It's not learning to live well. Instead, it's from the moment we're born, we're, we're really trying to learn how to die well. Because we all know that from the moment we are born, the, the moment we breathe, our first breath is one breath closer 
to breathing our last. And I know some of you are saying, like, so morbid, Pastor. <laughs> like, we came here to be inspired, not to feel down. This couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago maybe, um, I went to the movies to see a film. And the title is called The Fault in Our Stars. And I remember not wanting to go because it's a story about a girl with cancer. That is depressing. But there was nothing else to see, so we went and we saw this particular movie. And as it turns out, it's not about a girl that has cancer. It's a movie about death. Death is everywhere. Death is all around us. And we can't avoid it. So then the following week, I was at the hospital. And I was covering a shift last minute. It was just one of those things where someone had an emergency, so I went for three hours on a Sunday afternoon. And the moment I got there, maybe five minutes later, there was, a, there was an overhead you know, beeping, and it says trauma. And it was a, or not trauma, it was um, code blue, which, or code white, rather, which is, I believe, where your heart stops or you're not breathing, but code white is for anyone under the age of 18. And I stand there in the ER, and a seven-month-old baby comes in. And he didn't make it. It is all around us, and it is inevitable. And so we could stand up here and pretend like it doesn't exist. But death is the ultimate end for all of us. You know, when we're younger, we don't think too deeply about it. Right? When we're younger, everything, we are invincible. There is, no, there is no fear. When we're in our 30s, we still don't think about it. We may lose loved ones, and we've all lost loved ones. But it's not until we get older and older. It's not until our bodies take longer to get back to the way they were. The aches remain. The pains remain. As we age we think about death more and more. It's just a sad reality of life. Some of you are like, is this a funeral sermon that Pastor pulled out? No. In funerals, we don't talk about death. <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make is not to bring all of us down. It's not to make you think about that, that thing that is going on in you, or maybe you've had this illness and it's freaking you out, or someone in your family. Look, it's a part of all of us, and we are just voicing it here. And it doesn't even help when the Bible says that death has been swallowed up in victory. And then Paul writes, where death is your victory? Oh, where is your sting? We like that verse, but whenever somebody passes away, it still hurts. Even us thinking about our ultimate end, that is something that brings fear into some of us because we don't want to get to that time or that place in our lives. And so the trick is not to fear death. If you're taking notes, the trick is not to fear death or to try to avoid death, but rather to beat death to the punch. Get there before it gets you. That sounds morbid and crazy, right? And it's supposed to, but let me show you what I mean. Paul who writes, death, where is your victory? Where is your strength? He also wrote, oh yeah, and so we talk about Jesus consumes it all, but Paul also wrote this few words. 
He says, I die every day. Now, Paul wasn't actually physically dying every single day. Let me give you a word about Paul because it helps to bring the understanding to, to what he writes, why he writes, and why that matters for us today. Paul was a traveling evangelist. Paul was a guy who initially was born into the right family. He was born into a noble family, a family that, um, that had means, a family that had at least some level of wealth. He was a Roman citizen. He was a man of his times. And Paul initially was, was even a Jew among Jews, as he called himself. He followed every law to the T. He was the perfect religious person. If there was someone that, was going, that you could make sure was following all the laws, that was Paul. Every law, every commandment, every one of the 666 or 67 laws, the 63 laws in the Bible, he tried to keep all of them better than us, in a sense. All right? He then converts from that way of seeing the world, of following all the laws and all the rules, to understanding the world where there is a God who forgives you of all your sins, and this is called grace, and it is given to us. It is not earned. There is nothing you can do. So where he once lived a life of following all the perfect rules, he then understood grace as God forgives you when you do break the rules. So Paul was a traveling evangelist, and he would go from town to town preaching that Jesus saves you, Jesus forgives you, and he would say things like, Jesus is Lord. Now in the first century, now in the 21st century for us, that isn't, that's just like, oh yeah, we know that. It's in the Bible, we say that all the time. But in the first century, it's the equivalent of saying, Jesus is president, right? So if all of a sudden started calling, you know, someone else, president of the United States, probably the real president of the United States would have a problem with it. The Secret Service might have a problem with it. Your friends might think you're crazy. Paul was doing the same thing in the first century when he was saying that Jesus is Lord, because the Romans would say things like Caesar is Lord, or Caesar forgives us, or the gospel of Caesar. So Paul took that language, and he put it, and he assigned it to Jesus as Lord. So the Romans didn't like him because he was trying to usurp, in a, in a sense, the, the current government. And then the Jews on the other side, the religious people didn't like him because he was saying things like Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is God in the flesh. And they had a problem with it because that went against everything that they understood. So Paul was literally going from town to town in the cover of darkness, always afraid for his life. There's even one story in the Bible that tells us that um, Paul was being chased by people and they pushed him off a cliff. But he survived to tell the story. So whatever it was, he was, and, and from what we understand, Paul would ultimately be beheaded um, for his faith. So Paul was a man who says, look, I'm not worried about dying then. I die to my natural inclination to serve myself daily. I die to my selfish nature. I die to wanting to get my way or wanting to climb the corporate ladder. I die to all of that every day because he understood that to live for Christ, there are things within us that need to be put to death. It is really hard to serve Christ but still be selfish. It is almost impossible to serve Christ but always want to get your way. It is almost impossible to serve Christ but worry about building your empire or your business so that you have as much money as you could possibly have. It is really hard to serve Christ if all you're worrying about is building bigger castles. 
It is really difficult to serve Christ if all you're worried about is being in a relationship. It is really difficult to be in a relationship with Christ if all you're worried about is your life and not about what God wants you to do. It's, this is a really hard message for us in the United States. Because from the moment that we start kindergarten or preschool, we are taught that any one of us, as long as you were born in this country, that any one of us can be the next president or a future president of the United States, right? That's what we're taught. Go to school, do well in school, get good grades. Um, the better grades you get, the better colleges you'll get into, the better graduate schools you get into. When you get to that, then you can open up your own businesses or you can be the CEO of any business. And, and, and the harder you work, the bigger the wealth you can accumulate. And the more wealth you can, uh, you can accumulate, then the better your life will be. That's what we're taught here. But that's not what Jesus teaches. And I'm sorry steps on someone's toes or if that offends some of you but what the bible teaches isn't for us to gain more and more wealth to get more and more things just for the sake of having those things for jesus the way up is actually going down first for jesus true greatness and true like the the epitome of life isn't about accumulating more but it's about serving others. And oftentimes when you serve others, it's about neglecting all of the things that the world is telling you that you need and that you must have. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, whom we, have a, whom we say is the wisest man ever to have lived, is if you're chasing all of those things, it's all vanity. It's chasing after. The wind it's it's almost like a dog chasing its tail it's almost never going to catch it and so if we are just chasing the things that this world is telling us that we need we are never going to find the truly abundant life now when i said that really morbid statement if we're let's not wait for death beat death to the punch here's what i mean by that in a more concrete way Paul says this, whatever gains I had, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. So he had just made a bunch of statements I didn't want to read, but he was basically saying, I, ha I arrived at the best part, like, I have arrived, I had reached the corporate ladder, I have been the CEO, I was like the man in charge, I was not only that, I was as sinless as any man could be. He was perfect in a sense. He says, whatever I had gained, all of this I regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is powerful. This is what he's saying to you today. No matter what you have accomplished in your life or what you're trying to accomplish, okay? Some of you are on the closer end to birth and you still have, you know, you still have all these dreams and visions, five-year plans, 10-year plans, 50-year plans. You plan to retire when you're 65 or 55 or whatever it is, right? Amen, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But we may have all of these plans for our future of what we want to accomplish and this guy paul says i've been there and i've had it all and i count everything as a loss 
in comparison to the value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul is saying that all the money in the world, all the things you can accumulate, all the power, all of the prestige, all of the everything of the very best in this world, none of that compares to the value of knowing Christ Jesus. That is not what we teach in, in our 21st century world. This is almost impossible for us. So you, I want you to think about right now, in your house or in your pockets or in your car, think about the most valuable thing that you have. Whether it's monetary or whether it's like a photo album with pictures. I mean, if we still have that, because it's all digital now, you can back it up to the cloud, so there's no real excuse. But, you know, the most valuable thing that you have, think about that. If someone stole the most valuable thing that you have, and how painful that would be and how much that would hurt. And what Paul is saying, even that doesn't even compare to how valuable it is for you to know Christ. Jesus once said that eternal life is to know God. And we know God through Jesus you see, so many of us, myself included, worry about investing in our futures, right? Do we have the right 401k? Do we, what else can we invest in so that I'm not, you know, living off of $300, you know, when I retire? And, and we're worried about, I'm worried about all of that. And I, and I want to make more money so that I can make sure that I have everything I need. And I want to live in Orange County one day, so I need to make even more money, right? So I'm, I'm worried about all these things. And Paul, in the middle of Philippians, he says, even if you get all of that, it is nowhere near as valuable as if you know Christ. This morning, to every one of you who is here, to all of my friends, to all of you, what do you really value? What is it in this world that you are tru truly, truly valuing? And are you putting all of your hope and all of your value in the wrong things? Jesus would echo this by saying, look, don't store up your treasure on earth where everything will be destroyed. But store up your treasure in heaven. And all that means is, if in the sense that God is in heaven, develop your relationship with God. Open yourself up to Christ because Paul had it all. Solomon had it all. People have had it all. And they say, even if you have it all, it's still nothing compared to knowing Christ. Paul says it's rubbish. It's trash. Even the best that you have, it is trash because it will fade away. It will lose its value. Paul was somebody, and even he knew that the very best that he had was valueless in the eyes of knowing Christ. This is what I dedicated my life to preaching. I didn't dedicate my life to preaching against other religions and other faiths. That's not what I was called for. I didn't dedicate my life to trying to tell you how to be the perfect Seventh-day Adventist Christian. That's not what I was called to. I was called to this message, to preach the message that nothing compares to Christ. Write that down in your bulletin. Write it down on the front page of your Bible. Nothing compares to knowing Christ. So, 
I'll keep going because I got time. Oh, man, there's so much. So much to say. Okay, Matthew 16. So, beat death to the punch, not killing yourself, but by dying to your selfish desires. As Paul says, I die every day to wanting to just have everything. Because Paul had everything, and he's like, I had it all, and nothing compares to knowing Christ. So now let's look at what Jesus says. He says, Jesus told his disciples, if you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, look, if you want to follow me, because Jesus had promised that he would give them the abundance. Jesus had promised them that they would have eternal life. Jesus made some very big promises to his disciples, saying, if you follow me, you will have this, this, this new, I, well, he didn't say it like this, but if you follow me, then you will have the abundant life, which I think most people want. So Jesus says, great, if you want that, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. First of all, again, we live in a time period and in a country where we don't like to deny ourselves, right? If we don't have enough for something, we get it on credit, right? Buy now, pay later type thing. We, whatever we want for, for, for the most part. I mean, I'm not saying you guys do this, but we live in a culture where we can have anything and everything that we want. But Paul said, but Paul, but Jesus says, look, Deny your selfish wants and desires. Everything within you that wants this or wants that or whatever. He says, deny that. Suppress that. Take up your cross. Jesus, what, what, what was, in the first century, the cross was symbolic for what? For the, for the salvation? Like, like, you know, is it like we wear around our necks now? Well, not we, but where people wear around their necks and there's a cross and, and now it's about how we love Jesus and it's a reminder of Jesus. No, in the first century... It was like the equivalent of, like, if people had, like, necklaces with, I mean, I guess in today's world, like an electric chair or something like that, right? It was what the Roman government would send them. It was like the most painful form of death, okay? It was understood that it was not only the most painful form of death, but it was given to, to bandits, to scoundrels, to thieves, to murderers, like, to the worst of the worst, this was the form of death that they would get. So Jesus says, look, deny your desires, your selfish desires, your wants. He says, and now pick up the cross, which instantly would have alerted all of the first century hearers to say, whoa, he's wanting us to die a painful death. Because Jesus knows that when you deny yourself, it can be painful. When you sacrifice things in your life, it can be painful. And so Jesus says, this will be painful come and follow me because Jesus understood that when you follow him you will enter into the best kind of life that you could live on this earth even Jesus in the garden of gethsemane before he is arrested even Jesus doesn't want to die even Jesus says god if there's any other way and he uses the metaphor of the cup if for this cup of wrath this cup of this death that i'm about to experience if there's any way for this cup to pass pass before me and I'm, I'm clear and I don't have to die, then I want that. But whatever your will is, may your will be done. And sometimes the will of God makes us feel uncomfortable. And sometimes we have to die to ourselves. And so this morning, what I'm saying is that just because you want something, just because you think things should be a certain way, just because you have a 10-year, five-year plan, it doesn't mean that that's always what God intends for you. And so Jesus says, learn to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So here's an example of going against your instinct, your nature. 
What's going on in the world today? Not bad, okay? Like something fun that people like. The World Cup, right? Um, maybe not in the U.S. as much, but in, you know, in the world, soccer is, or football is probably you know, the most popular sport going on. People get crazy when they watch their World Cup you know, soccer. Right? You, if you have a Facebook account, everyone all of a sudden apparently is a soccer fan. I don't get that, but everyone's a soccer fan and an expert at that. Whatever. But anyway, so really passionate about watching World Cup soccer. When their team wins, how excited do people get? They love it, right? They cheer, they high-five, and then they go back to work or whatever it is that they're doing. But people are ecstatic and excited. Now, when you, when you win, you're excited, you have fun, you go and celebrate. When you lose, what do you do? You're sad, you put your head down. You know, even if you're a Christian and everything is rubbish compared to knowing Christ, but when your team loses, it still hurts a little bit. What do you do? You leave. You, you want to just forget it even happened. You don't want to talk about it. You get mad. But that's not for everyone. So there's a story that I read just a couple of days ago that I feel fits perfect with that, that what Jesus is saying, like deny those, those feelings of wanting to just get your way or say what you need to say or whatever. Um, a couple of days ago, the team, the national team from Japan, I forgot who they were playing. I don't think it mattered, but they lost. The, Japan, the Japanese team, they lost. And I think it, I'm not sure if eliminated them already because they lost twice, but whatever the story, whatever the case is, they lost. And after the loss, the Japanese fans, what did they do after losing, after it being probably painful for them? They picked up the trash in the stadium. What? Some of you are like, I don't even pick up my trash when I go to the movies, and it was a good movie. These fans part of their culture, part of their honor system, part of what it is, after they lost, after everybody would just want to go home five minutes early, right, they stay and they pick up the trash in the stadium. I don't know if they're Christian, and I'm not even saying that's a Christian thing, I'm just saying that's the best real day example I can give you of what it means to deny those inner feelings, those feelings of wanting to get back or get even, to deny that and just do what is right and honorable and just. This is a lesson for us today on what it means to pick up your cross and follow Christ. You do even the hardest things. You do the things that even sometimes are painful because you would rather do something else. Jesus says, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This is just one of those ways that Jesus is saying, for those who want to save their life, what he means is by the, for those of you who are trying to um, not bear their cross, so if you don't want to deny yourself, if you don't you know, want to suppress your selfish feelings or whatever it is, he goes, fine, if you want to just live the life that you want to live and do whatever you want to, you may never enter the kingdom of heaven because you can't go after what the world offers you and still be fully committed to Christ. Gosh, that sounds so weird coming out of my mouth. <laughs> You can't go after all of those things and really just go for it, you know, 10 hours a day and, and, and truly be a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying you need to be in poverty. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that your motivation and the center of your life must be Christ. And Jesus says, now those of you who do bear your cross, those of you who do die to your selfish desires, you will find your life. I'll end with this. Philippians chapter 4. This is Paul. 
He says, I'm not referring to being in need because uh, one of the early churches was helping Paul and giving him some money and some food. And so he had this, you know, he read what happens before this in Philippians. But this is what he says, I'm not referring to being in need. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We kind of come full circle with, God, may your will be done in my life, and may you give me just what I need. Because we think this life is just about us. That we want to build these bigger castles. When in reality, God gives us life so that we can serve and bless and love others. True life isn't just about more of everything. But it's about clearing the clutter in our lives to be able to see what is truly valuable and what is truly important. My challenge to you this morning is that whatever is important to God, may that be important to you. And from the way I see it and the way I read Scripture, what is of the most importance to God aren't all of these things that we're trying to do, but it's about the people that have been placed in our lives. May you learn to bear your cross and priceless feeling of knowing what it means to bear the cross and follow Christ. Because when we do finally get to our last breath, I don't think anyone's going to think about we wish they had done all these other things. The thing that probably causes the most pain is that we will no longer spend time with people until the day that we will experience the great resurrection. So as you bear your cross and as you follow Christ, and though it may feel like it's painful and like you're missing out on some stuff, I can guarantee this, that if you spend every day trying to develop and build and be in the presence of a relationship with Christ, no matter what may befall you, even the worst of things, and I get it, your life will still have immense value and purpose and meaning because Jesus is either telling the truth or he's a liar. And I don't think any of us think that Jesus is a liar. And so I guarantee you that if you give your life to Christ, it will make all the difference. Amen. In response to that sermon, let's just sing the last verse of I'd Rather Have Jesus. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be
today. Amen. This is the time of, in the service that we can all participate. We can all bring our tithes and offerings into God's storehouse. I'd like to read 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God knows what we need. It doesn't necessarily mean the wealth of the world. Our wealth is in Jesus, as the pastor said. Can we ask the deacons to stand, please, as we pray? Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning, to hear the word, Lord, through our pastor, to see you, Lord, in, in our praises and our music, to feel your presence here with us today. We ask now, dear Lord, that you will help us to be cheerful givers. May we put our faith and trust completely in you, even with our finances. So we pray that you will accept our offering as our love gift back to you, Lord. We love you and pray all this, not because we are worthy, but in your holy and precious name. Amen. I invite you to stand for our closing hymn, Take the World, but Give Me Jesus.
take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but his love abideth ever through eternal years the same. Oh, the height and depth of mercy, oh, the length and breadth of love, oh, the fullness of redemption, pledge of endless life above. Take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of a soul. Then through our Savior watching of me, I can sing through billows roll. Oh, the height and depth of mercy, oh, the length and breadth of love, oh, the fullness of redemption, pledge of endless life above. Take the world, but give me Jesus, in his cross my trust shall be, till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face my Lord I see. Oh, the height and depth of mercy, oh, the length and breadth of love, oh, the Pledge of endless life above. God, we want to thank you for this day where we can pause from all the other stuff. And we pray now that as we've heard your word, as we've sang these songs, and as we've prayed, that as we walk out of this building, Lord, that it wouldn't have gone in one ear and out the other, but that you would allow your spirit to let these words marinate on our hearts and our minds. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.